All right, welcome to the Average Saint Podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is Season 2, Episode 1, October 13th, 2022. Today we're going to be talking about how we seek to faithfully and strategically organize ourselves to share in the life and mission that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Every true Christian is one who is called out of the world to belong to Jesus and called into his holy service. The Apostle Peter wrote that we are in fact a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are God's people, and so we are to live out our identity and our purpose faithfully and wisely in the context that we find ourselves in. After all, the local church is God's plan A for reaching the lost world. Now, local churches organize themselves in various ways for life and mission in Jesus Christ, depending on a variety of factors, such as local culture, location, uh, even the climate. While the scripture doesn't prescribe forms of ministry for us, it does give us our identity and function. It also gives us both examples and principles that we shouldn't ignore. And so when we take a look back and examine the New Testament church, we might be surprised to find that they organized themselves very simply in households. It was simple, but it was an effective organizing principle. It was within the scope of these households that baptisms took place, the Lord's Supper was celebrated with a meal, instruction was given. Also, it was from among the heads of these households that deacons and elders were drawn And so as you and I live in a post-Christian society, we're faced with similar challenges as the early church. Not exactly the same, but similar. We live in a society dominated by idols that is either ignorant of the gospel or hostile to it. And yet our identity in Christ, though, hasn't changed, nor has our mission to go and make disciples of all nations. With that in mind, we've decided to take a cue from the early church, not to slavishly replicate what they did but to faithfully fulfill our calling and our context. And this is what we're talking about today. We're seeking to organize ourselves in smaller groups of saints who intentionally and regularly share life and mission together. Here at Fellowship, we call these life groups. Some have the assumption that a life group is just another program, something else to tack on to an already uh, large programmatic tree of a church. But that would be a misunderstanding. It's actually a paradigm shift from church as an event to church as the family of God on mission together. We recently covered the theology of this paradigm in a sermon preached back on September 6th. It was entitled Realigning for Mission, if you're interested in taking a listen to it on our website. That's fellowshipedmonton.com. That sermon was followed up by a ministry leaders training brunch covering our methodology, and today we're going to expand that discussion to help encourage and resource the average saint. Joining us to discuss the ministry paradigm is our dear brother and associate pastor, Tim Nisley. How are you doing today, Tim? Jay, I'm doing great. This is actually exciting for me because we're starting season two of The Average Saint. This is pretty sweet. Can you imagine? A new day. And we've got new equipment. New new equipment, yes. (laughs) Hopefully it sounds better to our listeners. We'll find out in the feedback (laughs) later on. All right, so let's first review some key points uh, that we talked about at the leaders' meeting, but I think we need to repeat here. Um, When we're talking about our strategy for organizing in life groups, uh, in community, we're not talking about a new law or a standard for Christian living. This is merely a strategy 
to organize ourselves as a family of saved and sent people for the glory of Jesus and the joy of others. As uh, we talked about earlier, uh, it's rooted in our identity as God's household, as a kingdom of priests, and it's rooted in our mission to go and make disciples. So a strategy is helpful, but flexibility is needed. And we obviously need tremendous amounts of dependency upon the spirit of our God. That's the biggest part of it because, you know, we're in, we're in his mission. Mm-hmm. He's indwelling us. Mm-hmm. He has uh, gifted us mm-hmm. and, and he sent us. So it's like, we really want to follow what he wants us to do. And it's going to be different in different cultures, which is mm-hmm. uh, in different parts of the world and different parts of our, our, our immediate culture, because we're not all the same in every part of even our city. That's right. And so it's, it's, it's necessary to be able to look at what the Spirit wants us to do, to listen to what He wants us to do, and not have like a cookie-cutter program. Yeah. But it's literally, as we say, life yes. and mission. Amen. A compass, not a cookie-cutter. I like that yeah. contrast. Yeah, so it's not a law, right? It's, it's just, we, we have a propensity you want to give them, uh, you know, a book <laughs> and just do A, B, and C, and you've done life group. And I just, I can't, like, I think that you have a few bay things and that's rooted in our identity. Amen. Uh, and from there, uh, we work out for what, how the spirit wants us to, uh, to live in our culture. Amen. Yeah. Show me the secret strategy to the Christian life. It, yeah. It's not, not that. The proverbial silver bullet. Yeah. It's, yeah. that's not what we're talking about, but we are talking about it in uh, a paradigm shift from individual to community, uh, from attending events to uh, belonging uh, to a community, and from programmatic-driven ministry to people-driven ministry. And so that strategy is to organize primarily in life groups for our mission and discipleship. Now, this is not meant to be critical, uh, but uh, we we take a look around at uh, lots of churches, and the main organizing principle for ministry in most churches are programs. You usually take a look at what the church offers in terms of their program to youth or program to young adults or program to uh, elderly or singles, and the list continues. And so the church organizes herself around staffing and implementing for these various initiatives. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's an approach. But the church in her essence is to be a people, uh, as we've already said, a saved and sent people. She's not a program. She's the household of God. And so she should look like that and act like that. That's that's a thing too. I mean, you said that you know we we were organizing life groups around mission and discipleship. I would double down on that though and say that it's not just it's not mission and discipleship, but that mm. discipleship is mission. Amen. And and the description that I've I've used um, that's really helped me in what we do is that discipleship is taking people from unbelief to belief in every area of their life. And obviously right. that st- starts with Jesus. Right. Um, but you can invite people into your life that have, haven't even gotten there yet. Amen. And, and, and start in that work of discipleship that God's called us to. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And this goes against the grain. I mean, and I find that even in my own life, I mean, there's a rabid individualism that we swim around in, in the day-to-day uh, society that we inhabit. You know, there's a fierce materialism. Uh, there's an idea that, you know, our house is sort of our sanctuary and nobody should disturb it. You know, hosting, even opening up our homes and extending hospitality in our day and age uh, is almost a foreign concept. I I, I, I went to a, <laughs> a potluck. This was just a couple summers ago. 
to to emphasize this point on a, a rabid individualism and uh, a lack of hospitality in our society and and uh, so it was a potluck so I thought oh okay so everybody's going to bring you know something to share a pot full of luck as it were <laughs> and so we get to this place and sure enough people did bring different dishes but it wasn't to share it was for themselves individually <laughs> And I'm like, what is this? So <laughs> they obviously weren't Baptist. No, no, not at all. Well, they weren't even Christian, but I mean, you know, it was just such a weird thing. Anyway, so when we started sharing our pot of luck, it was, it was, you know, this radically countercultural thing. <laughs> anyway, aside from that, we understand that in the gospel, the living God brings us into community with himself. And that communion with God is to be expressed in community with one another. And as our Lord Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's in John 13, 35. And that love actually is supposed to become tangible uh, in shared life and shared mission. And so life groups are really an attempt to organize intentionally for that purpose. So we seek to start from a different point, uh, to organize as an extended household of faith. And so these small groups, these communities or cells or platoons that share life and mission together, these life groups, are acting together to reach their neighborhood or their network. And the reason why is because, well, the church isn't a program, she is a people. As I said in the sermon earlier, uh, the early church wasn't known for its buildings, wasn't known for its budgets, wasn't known for its Bible colleges or programs. It was known for its faith, its hope and love in Jesus that was actually expressed in its community. Yeah, so it's important that we repeat that there's no prescription for church forms, but we do have principles and even apostolic commands given in Titus 2. And there, especially, we see there is actually a prescription for each generation in the church. Older men are to set an example. Younger women uh, are to be taught by older women. Younger men are to set an example for the older and vice versa. It's a whole intergenerational dynamic. And so when you take a look at God's design for the church, it's designed to flourish as an intergenerational household of faith, not compartmentalized into different categories, uh, not a generationally segregated religious service provider, as it were. And so life groups are really an intentional way to get us around, I guess, the table together, intergenerational for uh, this reason. Yeah, that's, you can't actually program the value of intergenerational life. Right. Like, you can't put a program on that. No. And you you find that when you sit there and talk about real spiritual things, uh, real things that are affecting daily life of people, that the value of having somebody in the group that has life experience, even if they're newer in the faith, they're having life experience, and they're just now learning how that experience was actually necessary, first of all, to bringing them to faith, and then also necessary, and now how it's going to affect the community that they do life and mission with. And mm. it's, it's so much fun to watch. Uh, we have everybody from just around 60, they're not quite to 60 yet, down to uh, our youngest would be uh, two months old. Mm, nice. <laughs> like I got to go hunting with one of the younger guys and one of the older guys. I was kind of in between, which was which is great just to see the dynamics there and the understanding that faith is and, and the community of faith is supposed to be intergenerational is important. We've had some groups, you know, have some hard time gaining traction because mm. all of them are 20 somethings. Right. And their leader comes to me and they're like, what do I do? Because mm -hmm. we've got these young people there, but they're excited about what's going on. But, but he says, when it comes down to just wisdom, <laughs> 
in 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 day to day life stuff. So if you're even if they're studying like systematic theology and like how does this apply, right? And and having somebody older that's sitting there like I can see how that can apply, right? Right. And right. so so the the discipleship taking people from unbelief to belief in every area of their life, like the intergenerational side of that, we've seen have have such a such a value, and it's something that typically we don't do yeah. at the gathering on Sundays, right? In fact. We typically at the gathering on Sundays gather around the people that we find familiarity with. Mm-hmm. Young families, if it's young families; older people, if it's older people; um, hunters, if it's hunters. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have all these different groups, and they find each other every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And something I read recently, I think, was helpful. I can't remember who wrote it, um, but but he was saying that in a large group, we get to choose who our community is. Mm. In a smaller group. The community chooses for us. Ah, uh, very good. And so we have people around us that we wouldn't normally gather around, right. that we wouldn't normally spend time with, that are part of our community because the, uh, of the very nature of it being smaller. Mm-hmm. And and we've and I've seen the value of that over the years um, of of doing this with a group of people, and it's just amazing. That's right. Amen. Well said. So some have asked, okay, well, what place then do programs take in this paradigm? Well, clearly they're not extinct. They're useful tools. We still run programs uh, as a church, uh, but they're necessarily limited. And and so we're seeking to employ them strategically and ground them in community. Uh, hopefully, uh, in, as best as we can, uh, have them fed by it. So life groups actually organizing programs and coordinating programs that run out of various life groups. And this is important because, again, as you've already alluded to it, discipleship is inescapably relational, and it is inescapably intergenerational. I think that's what Titus 2 gets right. Mm. Well, of course it gets right. It's God's Word. So programs can be offered, um, but they're appendages to the community that is gathered around the gospel of Christ. And so we could try to sum it up this way, community in Christ before program. Because if we put the program first, well, then we're in danger of just getting a religious service provider. But if we put the gospel-centered community first, then we get an extended family of faith sharing the mission together. Mm-hmm. And I think this provides a better uh, intergenerational strength to the church that we should have. Yeah, and years ago when we started this, it, one of the one of the biggest helps for me was reading through a book called The Trellis and the Vine. Right. And understanding that, because we did go through the history of the church, especially from, I would say, starting in the 1950s, gained a lot of steam in the 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, was a, was kind of a big, big thing until not too long ago, actually, that, that programs in the church were necessary. And it was big bucks and big budgets and, and mm-hmm. big, big staff in order to run all this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you look back at the scripture and you're like, well, it wasn't that way back then. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we start talking about strategies and stuff like in the trellis and the vine they said the the importance and the calling of is to actually tend to the vine right um and he says and he gives an illustration at the beginning that i'll i won't forget he said that he had a a little shed and he had trellises on both sides one Mm -hmm. of them was like kind of dilapidated a little bit pieces were falling off and the paint had peeled and stuff like that and he had built a new one for the other side that had completely fallen apart (laughs) and so he said at the end of the summer the the vine on on the they not as shiny trellis 
uh, did really well. He said on the other side, it didn't do that well at all. Mm-hmm. And he said he realized it was because he was tending to the vine on the one side and trying to make sure the trellis was okay on the other. <laughs> and the trellis represents our programs. Right. So there, right. there's a necessity of structure, mm-hmm. uh, leadership, um, schedules. Like there's mm-hmm. a necessity of those things. But when they become the, the end in themselves, sorry, then, then we actually miss what God's called us to do. Right. Right, absolutely. So the structure is necessary, but it's not the thing that needs the attention. Right. It's the living, breathing vine, the life of the church. Right. And our structure and life groups, I mean, it starts with, hey, just start meeting regularly, get in the habit of doing that. Right. Um, so there, there's part of the trellis right there. Shared leadership, there's part of the trellis right there. And I right. think we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, it's, it's those things that we're developing and we're working on. Uh, but at the same time, we're really we're really trying to get to the place where we're living in life and mission and that mission being discipleship yeah. with one another and with our neighborhoods and our networks. Very good. So this is that was all review, I guess, for our listeners to try to catch everybody up on this idea, this paradigm. But again, you know, take a listen to the sermon from September the 6th. And uh, for our life group leaders out there, I'm sure they've got their notes from our uh, leaders breakfast. But let's get down to tactics then. So where do we actually start? Like, how do we actually implement this paradigm. So you already started there and you said, you know, like just simply start small. <laughs> mm-hmm. Life groups can start with three to four people. Yeah. Um, that's all that's really required here. We don't need a a large group to begin this. Yeah. The thing is, is that right now we're having an issue is because we have so many people that all at the same time are kind of waking up to to this understanding and this vision mm-hmm. and they're and they're just like pummeling our life groups like <laughs> i talked to a life group leader today who said he met the other day it was great it was beautiful it was like 32 people <laughs> and kids <laughs> that's awesome and and he was like he's like it was chaotic I don't know what to do. Like he told me, he's like, encourage me, give me some ideas. He's like, I don't, I don't think this is sustainable, you know? And so because it's not a program, it's not like, Hey, we're going to put this out and then everybody understands that this such and such a date, we're all meeting at this place. Like it's not that way. It's just saying, Hey, why don't you start meeting with us at our house? Right. Very good. Um, and starting with that, and it can start around a meal. It can, it can, it can start around a a short study that you want want to do. There's lots of ways to do it, but just start there. Yes, very good. And start small and start regularly. Yeah. Um, and I would say realistically as well too. You know, once a week is fine. Uh, you know, we have this uh, echo from scripture talking about you know they they met daily. Uh, you know, in their homes. Uh, but the reality is, is again, that's an explanation. It's a description. It's not a prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't start uh, at 100 miles an hour. So once a week is totally fine. If you want to do more than that, that's fine. You want to do once every two weeks, that's fine too. But at least it's regular. Yeah. So starting small, starting regularly, and uh, again, you know, three to four people. And that can be a couple couples, that can be a few singles, that can be a couple in singles. It's really, again, just start. So that's the first thing. This, the second thing in terms of tactics is to start locally. And that means the life group, where possible, should be in proximity. I mean, in the hood, so to speak. And the reason for that is because if you're living across town, logistically, that's an obstacle. Uh, especially when it's icy on the roads six months out of the year. 
when gas is now a hundred and oh, I was going to say one hundred and seventy dollars a tank. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that. <laughs> One of the life group leaders that I I talked to recently said that he has a group coming from uh, one of the suburbs of of Edmonton, and he said that they're like, "Hey, when snow starts, I'm not sure where you want to come. No, um, all this way. No. So the the more local, the better. Yeah, that's right. And it's hard to do life and mission when you have to travel. Even even though Edmonton is kind of a um, I don't know. It's, it's a traveling city. Like we're, we're yes. always moving around in vehicles from one way to the other. It takes us That's right. 25 years to build a ring road and then we need another one, you know, and, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. but, but at the same time, if you can't get to somebody's house within 10 minutes, yes, I would say you need another place. And yes. the, the, even the rationale behind that is that we actually want to saturate our neighborhoods. Right. With the knowledge of the glory of, of Jesus, like waters on the sea. Correct. And so if we're always leaving our neighborhoods That's right. to, to do this thing that, that our church does, then, then we're kind of, kind of getting off, off track. That's right. That's right. And I, and I think we can expand on the locally side of things too as well, where you know when we're talking about reaching our neighborhoods and our networks, those two things can be somewhat exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Because you do have people who they I mean they they work 45 minutes away from where they live they shop 45 minutes away from where they live mm-hmm. they go to school 45 minutes away from where they live mm-hmm. so there are situations where you know I just want to be careful that our listeners understand this again strategy and so it's about um organizing ourselves for life and mission in Jesus and sometimes that will take the shape and form of our network so we did have a life group that uh, didn't live at all close to each other, and they were reaching out to the medical community because they're all uh, nurses and, mm-hmm. uh, within the medical profession. Yeah, um, I think that's changed now, um, but but there is a way in which this can be managed strategically. Is so starting small, starting locally, and then starting prayerfully. Obviously, again, going back to what we first said, we live our lives uh, with a dependency upon God's Spirit. And this is no different. We need God's wisdom. And so even if the group starts with a really tiny group, like three people to four people, well, you start prayerfully with simple things. Uh, Lord, uh, show us who we are to reach. Show us how we are to reach them. Give us wisdom and insight to be able to use the time and the resources that you've given to us. And help us to understand each other's gifts as well uh, so that we can, we can coordinate our efforts and reach our neighbors in this way. Mm-hmm. So starting small, starting locally, starting prayerfully, and then finally starting strategically. And this is where we talked about uh, researching our neighborhood. So again, that could be researching your neighborhood or researching your network, wherever you guys find a com- common sphere of influence. And so take a look at the patterns, take a look at the needs, uh, even take a look at the local idols, uh, what people are looking to for hope outside of Jesus. And uh, there's a, a great book that uh, we'd suggested in our, our breakfast called The Art of Neighboring, and that goes over some tools for this. But there's also Everyday Church by Timis and Chester, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great uh, resource there. We'll put that in the description as well. And then you'd mentioned the Trellis and Divine too. Yeah. You know, patterns and stuff that you find out um, from just doing some research in your neighborhood helps you connect with people really well because... Mm-hmm. The problem is, is because we typically, like here, so we live in Spruce Grove. Mm-hmm. Our church, 
where we gather on Sundays is located in West Edmonton. Right. And so we don't we don't really have a lot of connection with Spruce Grove from mm-hmm. here in Edmonton. So we leave Spruce Grove every every Sunday and we go worship with the believers in Edmonton. Right. So researching my neighborhood, like we can I can hear from the pulpit a lot of different things that are true about Edmonton, but mm-hmm. they're not true about Spruce Grove. <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> so when, we, when we talk about practical things, mm-hmm. um, researching Spruce Grove and what what's going on in Spruce Grove and what's happening around us and uh, you know, finding out, like we said, patterns and needs and idols and different things like that is just mm-hmm. knowing what they are or, and something really, really simple that comes from, you can actually get it off the web. I might even put that in the description notes, but you can, you get what um, the writers of Art of Neighboring put together is just a, a little map of your neighborhood and just right. find out what the names of your neighbors are. Yeah. Because we live in a cold culture and people typically live in garages with doors. And so if you want to come, you knock on their front door, <laughs> but you have to pass their garage to get there, Yeah, which is, which is a lot of our neighborhoods. And so it's, it's really hard to get to know people because you can look over the fence and say hi yes. sometimes Yes, during the summer, the two and a half days of it we have. But yes. when you, when you th- talk about the rest of the year, the, the door goes up at the end of the day, the car drives in and it goes down and everybody goes watch hockey. Yes. We really have to be creative. We can't look at somebody from the South and say, you know, like, look how they do it and we'll do that here. Like, that's why we have to depend on the spirit and asking him, how do we get into these people? Some of the stuff written in these books really gives us some good ideas. That's right. Uh, You know, but being strategic is also doing the research. Amen. Just like any missionary would do, actually. Right. So they would, I mean, what does a guy do? Let's say, uh, because we we know somebody like this, they're going to go to Thailand, let's say. Right. Um, what are they going to do? Well, <clears throat> the first thing they do is find out where they're going to live. Once they find out where they're going to live, they're going to find out where they're going to get training for language. Right. And then from there, they actually build a community of people around them as they're learning their language, as they go shopping, as they walk around in the neighborhood at night, as they do these things. And, and it's the same thing here. A lot. I know if I've talked to people, I'm like, spend some time walking around your neighbor, neighborhood. And, and they're like, well, I don't like to walk. And I would say, um, you, you know, you only have so much time that you get to walk outdoors anyway. So that's right. It. You got four months, man. Yeah. And so just do it. And, and then you, you, you walk by people. I mean, how many, how many times have you walked by someone and gotten a conversation with them? Right. You know, and, and having that opportunity is missed if we don't understand that during the summer, people just get out because this is the chance they have without, you know, suffering from frostbite. <laughs> Amen. So. Amen. And that goes back to the patterns, right? Yeah. Patterns of what's taking place, not just in your neighborhood, but in your city. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> funny illustration. Knocking on somebody's door at eight o'clock at night in October versus knocking on somebody's door at eight o'clock at night in July are two totally different experiences. <laughs> totally different things. Because it's nighttime at eight o'clock yeah. in October. In, 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 the, in the one, uh, you get to talk to your neighbor. In the other, the police are called. <laughs> so- <laughs> ah, it's true, man. It is true. But right, and even that's how missionaries, uh, you know, take a look. I, I like, uh, what is it, uh, Paul, when he said um, in Scripture, is it Acts 17? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so it's, yeah, Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked with him, and as he saw, the city was full of idols. And so Paul is walking around the city, and he's just thrown off because he's looking at everything that they are worshiping. And so he's observing his context, and then he launches in 
into his message at the uh, Areopagus. Areopagus, He says, uh, you know, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Isn't he gracious? You know, (laughs) for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so Paul starts where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I think there's great wisdom there. And so for us as, you know, Christians on mission together, we got to start where we're at as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are people at? Where are the, what are their patterns? What are their needs? What are their idols? And then see how the gospel interfaces in those contexts. Amen. Good. So just to recap those tactics, start small, start locally, start prayerfully, start strategically. Again, very straightforward stuff here. But all the theology for this paradigm shift is contained in the sermon, and so feel free to take a listen to that. Just a few things to remember as we finish our time. We've got to understand that not everybody is going to come along for this ride. Not everybody's going to embrace this paradigm. And by the way, that's just normal. That is the case with every family out there. That's the case with every organization, and it's no different in the church. It's, that's just human behavior. But we are seeking to be faithful nonetheless to our calling and our, and our identity. And so we want to make the best use of the time, the resources, and opportunities that God has given to us. So out of a group of 10 people, if two people come along for the ride, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we might have another uh, three people who give assent to the idea. They love the idea, but they don't really engage. And then you might have another two people who are sort of a little bit challenging of, of, of the idea, not really convinced that it's good. And then you got another three people who are just completely checked out. Yeah. That's normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember early on, we would get frustrated because we would try to plan things all the time. Right. So different ways to get into our neighborhood and our network. And I, rem- I remember one time we planned a neighborhood barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we went around and we, we passed out papers, we told our life group, um, you know, and when it started coming close, this was years ago now, but Hmm. when we started getting close to it, you know, one by one, our life group was like, I can't make it. I can't make it. I can't make it. Our, our city gives us like, I think a hundred bucks to go buy meat and stuff. So we bought meat and we barbecued and we brought it out to the place where we told everyone we were going to be. And there was one neighbor and us, (laughs) you know? And so we would get, we got, we would get frustrated and we wondered why people weren't, didn't come along. And then it just became clear that, you know, we, we have to do what God's called us to do. And he's let us do it with a group of people, but not all of them are going to be along. Or I should say not all of them are going to be engaged, but some of them are just going to be along for the ride. That's right. That's right. Very good. This uh, came up at the breakfast as well. Some have asked, you know, well, what happens if I'm already reaching to my neighbors? And, you know, this has been a pattern in their life for a while. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Glad that you're doing it. May God bless you in it and keep doing it. But what I would suggest, though, is is think about, is there anybody else in the church who can assist you? Because, again, we go back to gifting. There are people out there who are quite the evangelists. Mm-hmm. They're going to, this is just part of the regular rhythm of their life. Yeah, that's right. But they're soloing this. And and I think there's a lost opportunity there. I think, well, wait a minute, you've got, there, there are other people who can complement that gift set, other people who might be 
gifted in hospitality, other people who are gifted in other ways who can come alongside and help you minister to your neighbors or your network, because we're not lone rangers. Right. I mean, even the Apostle Paul uh, didn't like to work alone. Uh, he wanted his apostolic band with him, and even our Lord himself chose to work with a team, mm -hmm. who at times, by the way, were more of a hindrance than a help. So, you know, we need to be thinking about how to uh, pull people along or invite people along, I should say. I, I always laugh because, you know, when you talk about Jesus and the people he brought along, like he was, he was frustrated with them. And you can, you can read this in the text. You can right. understand I was frustrated. Paul was frustrated. One of my favorite stories of grace is when, when Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark, and then towards right. the end, he's like, "Send John Mark. <laughs> I found him useful for ministry." There you go. Um, God, God doesn't call us to do this by ourselves. He actually no. creates communities of people all over the world. That's right. As he's doing his work in them, he's doing it through them to the people that he's called them around. Amen. Yeah. So you know, remember, not everybody's going to come along. That's okay. Uh, if you're on the field already ministering to unsaved neighbors, great. Uh, remember that you're not a lone ranger. Uh, there are others who can help and would be glad to help in the church. Just ask. Uh, and then the third thing, you know, ministry life in Jesus. Again, we've already said this, but it should be repeated. It shouldn't be dependent upon a facility. Now, what I mean by that is, is that you know we have a wonderful facility by God's grace. But if the facility goes away tomorrow, and we still have a gospel-centered community that is meeting in various homes throughout the city, well, then the church can just carry on in its merry way. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the whole idea that uh, you know we don't want to be program-centric and facility-centric. Could be that that's going to be a strategy in the church going forward, right? Eventually, right. Um, this is this is something that happens all over the world. I think the whole facility centric church in the West uh, is unique to the West. Mm -hmm. You talk to other people around around the world, and it's like it's not really this way everywhere. Mm -hmm. And people organize; they have structure and leadership, but they organize in neighborhoods um, and mm -hmm. networks. That's right. That's right. Amen. The other thing to remember is, uh, and I'm just injecting this here because it was brought up by one of our dear elders, our brother Archie, is that we, we have another sphere to reach as well. And not just our neighborhoods and our networks, but we have what we could call our nearbys. And these are the folks who are literally in the facility on a Sunday <laughs> uh, who happen to be streaming in, uh, in, in mass uh, over the course of the last six months. And we're grateful that, you know, in our context, you know, we still have that dynamic at play. There are still people who are, well, first of all, seeking the gospel, uh, second of all, seeking answers, and then, you know, third, seeking for a church that still believes the Bible uh, and still preaches the gospel. And so I think we, we need to be in mind that sometimes the mission can actually start in the foyer on a Sunday morning. Amen. Yeah, we have so many opportunities on a Sunday morning to meet people that we've never met before. Right. How many times do we sit in a meeting, in a staff meeting or an elders meeting and say, there are so many people there on Sunday we don't even know. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, that's the nature that we find ourselves in now after the last two years, but. That's right. But so many opportunities. Um, and our brother Archie is a great uh, example to to our church in that too, because he's he's got somebody in his home all the time. Amen. All Amen. The time. Praise the Lord. Well, this is good. So let's help him out. <laughs> Many more homes. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah.
Last thing here for our day is we just want to remember and have our listeners remember that ministry in Jesus is not dependent upon you. This strategy, seeking to organize ourselves this way, this is all as it's all a response to his grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are not serving to earn his love. He's already lavished his love upon us. We serve out of his grace to us. And so in giving his life to die for our sins and rising uh, to give us new life in him, a resurrection, hope, we're, we're now taking that hope out to the streets, as it were, from the street to the sofa to the sanctuary. We want to seek to live out his calling as his people wisely and faithfully. And so this is the rationale behind the strategy. Uh, this is the, what drives us really as a church, is the gospel. But please remember that as you go forward on mission. And again, uh, we'll try to list that uh, those resources that we mentioned in our talk, in our description. But I think that's it, eh, brother? Is there anything else we want to talk about? No, it's great being with you here today. Yeah, man. Thanks for setting this up, Tim. If it wasn't for you, this would not have worked. So, <laughs> Well, it didn't work the first time. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. All right. If you got any questions for us, feel free to email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com. You can follow us on Facebook. And until next time, this is The Average Saint signing off.